Taiwan's name is once again the focus of attention. This time, it's in Japan. It was recently discovered that the website of the Japanese National Library contained the designation of Taiwan Province of China. The name will appear as an option when a visitor to the site registers his or her place of residence. Sino-Taiwan relations expert Nagayama Hideki has made phone calls to the library demanding that the name be corrected. But so far, the name has remained unchanged. What affects Taiwan also affects Japan. So we in Japan also need to care about Taiwan's issues. Breaking the One China principle is very important to Taiwan and Japan. The name should be corrected as soon as possible. I think it is basic common sense among the Japanese people that China and Taiwan are different countries. I believe that in this case involving the library, the Japanese government will do something about it due to the demands from the public. Nagayama has made two phone calls to the library requesting that Taiwan's name be changed to just Taiwan. He said he would not rule out seeking assistance from members of the national diet. He also called on Taiwanese to voice their protest to the library so they'll understand that Taiwan is not part of China. The recent privatized Taiwan Railway Corporation began its first recruitment drive on Sunday. The company held physical fitness tests at different locations around the nation, with 7,300 applicants showing up to test their mettle. The company says those who pass the fitness test may be called back for follow-up testing in March. It says it is aiming to fill 936 vacancies by the end of April to replace those who resigned or retired before its corporatization in January. Donning a helmet and protective gear, prospective TRC recruits take part in a fitness test. At the sound of the starting pistol, the test takers set off carrying 35 kilogram weighted bags. Some complete the 40-meter shovel run with ease, while one person loses his balance and falls before standing up and pushing on. The job involves frequently carrying things, so I think it's fine. It's no problem, since I often do physical training. I train by lifting heavy objects, and I often go running. This is Taiwan Railway Corporation's first recruitment drive since corporatization. A total of 7,300 applicants who have applied for the 936 openings will need to complete tests for physical fitness and mechanical, electrical and transportation related skills. All applicants, including those applying for customer service positions, will be required to go through the physical test, while those taking the engineering exam will need to carry an additional 10 kilograms of weight during the physical component. The company explained that completion of the physical fitness test by customer service recruits would facilitate their potential transfer to other roles in the company in the future. Those who pass the first phase of recruitment would be invited to take a written test on March 2nd and then a specialized test and an oral test at the end of March. Those hired would have a starting salary between 33,000 and 42,000 NT, the company said. I was mainly drawn to the benefits. The tests are related to things I've studied, so I applied. I'm in the machinery industry, so I wanted to come take the test. It might lead to more stable work.
Many of the railway company's employees resigned or retired in the weeks leading up to its corporatization on January 1st. The company hopes to fill those vacancies by the end of April. The Ministry of Labor has announced incentives to encourage retirees to return to the workforce. Those who return to work for a minimum of three months can receive a bonus of 30,000 NT with another one after three more months. There are also subsidies for employers to take on older workers. The ministry says it hopes the measures can help ameliorate a worsening labor shortage. 45岁以上的服务者，他们其实更有人生历练，或者是在应对不同状况的时候会更有余裕。People over 45 have lots of life experience and they are more capable of handling a variety of situations. They are very welcome to work here. Our 55 plus program aims to increase the number of people in the labor force annually. It should allow for 60,000 more people to enter the labor market each year. The Ministry of Labor says it also encourages employers to provide education, training, flexible working hours and other friendly measures to attract workers. It says it will provide businesses with a monthly subsidy of 3,000 NT per worker up to a maximum annual subsidy of 300,000 Taiwan dollars. The giant inflatable yellow ducks sitting on the Love River in Kaohsiung have been all the rage with more than 6 million visitors to date. The duck craze was brought to a new high with a duck-themed homemade raft competition over the weekend. 50 teams from around the nation used everything from plastic tubs to saran wrap to build their own vessels for a shot at the top prize. A duck-themed raft-building competition was launched over the weekend. The participating teams used everyday items to construct seaworthy vessels. Old tires and PET bottles were all put to good use. One team used empty cartons to build a boat that looked like Chai Shan, a local mountain. Each one was designed individually and has 18 independent tubes, so there's no problem in terms of buoyancy. We're also carrying empty containers on our backs as we ride the raft. If our cardboard boxes sink into water, we can still float thanks to the containers. These kids from the same elementary class worked together. They applied their creativity by using recyclable items from home so they could compete against the adults. We're still using these interlocking foam mats at home. We purchased this duck 10 years ago when the yellow duck art installation was here the first time. We have a total of 50 teams that built their own rafts today. They are very creative. They also hope to use creative ways to welcome the yellow duck back to Kaohsiung after 10 years. Riding the wave of yellow duck fever, 50 teams from around the nation built their own rafts to compete for the 10,000 NT prize. However, it is not just about being able to float. The vessels had to travel across water at a good speed. If you capsize, then it's goodbye to the top prize. One team tied together large plastic containers with a tub in tow and actually completed the lap. Participants rode the rafts they built themselves, and each team was feeling ducky with its own bag of tricks to try and win the race. The event brought extra joy and liveliness to the already festive atmosphere around Kaohsiung's Love River. 
The Taiwanese American Federation of Northern California held its 51st annual Spring Banquet Sunday, and both President Tsai Ing-wen and Vice President Lai Ching-de bid participants an auspicious Year of the Dragon through video clips. President Tsai emphasized that democracy and freedom are Taiwan's most important values. She said in the future, Taiwan will continue to work with friends around the world to protect democracy and freedom. Lai, for his part, promised that he and his deputy Xiaobi Kim will form the strongest team to lead Taiwan forward. Taiwan is fighting an ecological menace known as the Mikania vine or the bitter vine. Native to Central and South America, it is a fast-growing plant that can overtake agricultural crops, killing them along the way. Today, the weed has already spread extensively across the country. Tonight, in our Sunday special report, we meet the people who are battling the vine and see how they're turning it from a threat to an economic opportunity. The banana trees are covered in a mass of green, as if shooted by a blanket. They've been invaded by weed known as the bitter vine. Once the vine covers a crop, it can pose a deadly threat. That's why it's known as the green cancer. Bitter vine is native to Central and South America, and it thrives under strong sun. It's a rapidly growing plant that climbs toward light. If left unmanaged, it can kill the crops that it invades. But removing the vine is labor-intensive, and volunteers are often needed to help. We're out in the country. Here in the country, this problem is very common. People are older here, and farming for a living is hard on them. All the young people have gone away. Banana trees, orange trees, and other plants. For instance, lychee orchards have it too. Wherever this vine can climb and find water and nutrients, it will grow. Bitter vine has pointed leaves and small white flowers that bloom in the summer. It can grow an astonishing 24 centimeters a day. Besides being known as green cancer, it's also nicknamed the forest killer due to its harmful impact on reforestation. It causes tree death after invading, altering the ecology. When its shallow roots replace the deep roots of trees, it can make mountain slopes unstable. It likes high humidity and high temperatures. It does well in warm areas. Taiwan just happens to check all the boxes. In our surveys of the plant's distribution, we've seen it spread from altitudes below 1,500 meters to areas above 2,000 meters. In its native Central and South America, the bitter vine is kept in check by local insects and pathogens, but it has no such enemies in Taiwan. Tasked with fighting the weed, the Forestry and Nature Conservation Agency has explored a variety of ways. The main removal methods are mechanical, biological, and chemical. Chemical methods entail spraying herbicides, and we haven't considered it. Biological methods deploy the natural enemies of the bitter vine. Initially, our experts studied the rust fungi as an option, but they were concerned about the risks, that is, the unintended harm that the fungi might have on other species. 
Over the years, the government has found it hard to keep the vine in check. Today, Shi Guangyuan and his team are on a mission to kill weeds here at a plot of public land in Taoyuan. They use their hands and small sickles, as manual removal is the most effective strategy against the bitter vine. Xu monitors the progress, reminding the team not to let broken stems fall to the ground. This is a root that's been pulled up. Look at this note over here. Just like the cathedral bells plant, the bitter vine can re-sprout from a broken stem. The bitter vine is tenacious and can multiply through broken stems. Fighting the plant is a year-round job for the Taoyuan city government. The plant also has highly efficient seed dispersal. After flowering season each summer, the dispersal is even more astonishing. Like this flower here, it's already flowered and fruited and seeds have already formed. If you touch it, the seeds will fly. See here? I'll show you. Here they go. The seeds are so tiny it's hard to see where they're going. So after the vine blooms, it's best not to touch it. The plant can produce up to 170,000 seeds per square meter of vine. With the gust of wind, the tiny seeds are spread far and wide. For some 40 years now, officials have had limited success in eradicating the weed. One reason is its prolific reproduction. Another issue lies in land ownership. When private landowners don't want to manage the weed, there's nothing public authorities can do. Currently, all the government can do is try to persuade them. If we receive a public complaint, we seek out the landowner through the government system. We do our best to notify the landowner about their rights and responsibilities. We might even go to the community-level authorities and seek intervention or mediation. In addition, there are places simply too dense and dangerous for weed control workers to reach. For instance, Longtan District has many hilly areas. We can only work in areas that our people can reach, places that aren't dangerous. Some hillsides aren't steep, but are actually quite dangerous. We can only do our best. The challenge is too great for one agency alone. Working with local governments, the Forestry and Nature Conservation Agency offers cash to the public for pulling up vines. In the past few years, we've had this initiative. We buy uprooted bitter vines year-round. The Forestry and Nature Conservation Agency offers 5 NT per kilogram of uprooted vine, and some local governments add on a bit more. The uprooted vines must be handled with care to ensure they don't come back from the dead. You can bury them, pack them up and find a suitable place and bury them. After a while, they will die. They don't grow back. The other way is to take them to the incineration plant and burn them. Every year, the Forestry and Nature Conservation Agency buys hundreds of tons of bitter vine. Burying the weeds requires lots of land, but incineration increases carbon emissions. Could there be a better solution? Huang Yingbing is a researcher at the Industrial Technology Research Institute's Central Region campus. He's developed a novel way to use the bitter vine. He 
You take dried and chopped up vine, placing the pieces into a carbonization furnace. In this space, we can put stainless steel containers like this, which we fill with vine pieces. Then we heat it to 600 to 700 degrees Celsius. The vine is treated at high temperature for a week. The smoke and vapor are condensed into an amber-colored vinegar. The vine's high nitrogen content gives the vinegar unique properties. Regular vinegar, whether it's wood or bamboo vinegar, has a smell to it that repels mosquitoes such as the yellow fever mosquito or the southern house mosquito. But the unique thing about the bitter vine is that its nitrogen content produces a different odor one that can effectively repel the biting midge. After processing, bitter vine vinegar can be sprayed to curb biting midge populations. It can be made into agricultural pest control or a repellent. What's left of the vine after treatment can also be used as biochar, an excellent soil conditioner. Here at his factory in Zhanghua, Dai Mutsun is busy making incense. Dai is an expert in medicinal plants, and he works with e-tree to make his products. Bitter vine is used instead of the traditional Chinese mugwort to make incense that repels the biting midge. It just so happened that we ran into Dr. Huang and his team again. They found bitter vine to be effective against the biting midge, and they wondered if we wanted to try. So we added it in and discovered that it's even more effective than Chinese mugwort. With a turn of the machine, a coil of incense is formed. The product just takes a few seconds to make, but it bellies years of research and development. For researchers like us, if we develop a product or a technology and are able to transfer it to manufacturers and see it hit the market, that's immensely gratifying. Before you launch a product on the market, it has to go through years of testing. We had to ensure this product really can repel the biting midge and doesn't harm humans before we released it. Meanwhile, others are exploring applications for the vine beyond insect control. In Nanto, they've used it to make indigo dye. They've also used it in soaps. We've also tried combining it with construction materials to create what we call permeable bricks or combining it with red brick clay. Our tests show good permeability, water retention, and soil preservation properties. The bitter vine came from far away, arriving as seeds before growing into an ecological crisis. But, but the plant has also inspired creativity and perseverance in those who live with it. Even as complete eradication remains elusive, Taiwan is finding ways to turn its green cancer into gold. Tonight, we take you to a hand puppetry exhibition in Taipei. It showcases the history of hand puppetry in Taiwan through pictures, performances, and videos. The exhibition also spotlights two Hakka puppet masters, Chiu Fengrong and Huang Wushan. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang takes us in for a look. This exhibition showcases the work of Chou Fengrong, a master of the Seo Puppet Theater. His major works include the Taiwan Trilogy. 
Cho is currently developing the next installment, which is centered on the theme of plants. The exhibition not only showcases Cho's works, but also his artworks, books, and notes. Cho Feng Rong was introduced to puppetry after his friend gave him a puppet. He became very interested, so he started collecting puppets. The exhibition includes the books he read, dolls he collected, and it showcases his interest in rock and roll. It's about his life and creative process. Another puppet master in focus is Shen Puppet Theater's Huang Wu Shen. Since establishing the Shen Puppet Theater, Huang has produced shows for children in the Hakka language. The exhibition highlights the collaboration between Huang and Chou. They worked together and collaborated before. This exhibition focuses on their creations and what happened when they went through separate ways. Aside from the works of the two masters, the exhibition also features puppets from various eras to present the history of hand puppetry in Taiwan. In this exhibition, we mainly focus on contemporary puppetry because puppetry sprang from folk art or religion. We show how puppetry transformed over time, as puppetry has undergone several changes since it was introduced to Taiwan. For example, in the 1950s, puppet theater troops entered theaters to perform, and the art underwent changes. The special exhibit will be on display till June 30th at the Puppetry Art Center of Taipei. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Chen Shenhan in Taipei.